Hi, I'm Michelle Aronson, and welcome to True Stories at Work, where we discuss the best things about working in human resources, the people, the stories, and the things that happen at work that we didn't even know about, workplace confessions. I'm a recovering HR executive, certified coach, and business school professor who knows that the best stories happen at work, from heartbreaking to heartwarming, from hilarious to outrageous. Now I help companies develop impactful people strategy and make great cultures. Today, you get the pleasure of meeting Lauren, who shares so many great stories that I had to split her across two episodes. In this episode, you'll learn about Lauren's background and how her career aspirations to be creative are fulfilled by working in HR. HR is artistic because you have to literally be able to handle things at the drop of a hat, unique situations. And how a hiring mistake created a painful rift in her own department, which helped her to become a better leader after feeling all the feelings. I was at a point where I wanted to scorch the earth and be like, I'm done with all of you, and I'm going to start over. We discuss some things you should never share with HR, like... I think I'm still drunk from last night. At the end, you'll hear a story from a former coworker of mine who wants to share some of the stories that still make him laugh and cringe from working with me. This one is from a leadership coaching conversation where he gets distracted by a squirrel. And I pull the coaching recording to find out exactly how that squirrel entered our coaching session. So let's get started. Lauren, I'm excited to have you as my guest. We were connected through somebody that I met at the Sherm conference. So tell me a little bit about where you grew up and uh, what that was like. I grew up in central Pennsylvania. Um, my mom and dad both worked for the state, and my dad actually had HR responsibilities. And then my mom oversaw uh, a group of investigators in welfare fraud and investigation. You know, Pennsylvania is a great state. It has beautiful seasons and smaller neighborhoods, and the schools are somewhat small, so you know everybody. And then as an adult, um, I always joke that, you know, my elementary school best friend is my mom's hairdresser, which is not a joke, it's real. And, um, you know, my best friend growing up is my dad's pharmacist. And so it is a small town. Um, but I think because of that, it makes you, I think, more aware of how you interact with others because you never get to not live that moment again. Because <laughs> things live in infamy. Forever. You're forever yeah. remembered. Now, that really resonates with me because I'm also from central Pennsylvania. <laughs> I went to high school there. So how, how small was your small town? I mean, it, my town, as you know, back east, you can drive through 10 counties in 15 minutes. And so I grew up in a very small town. I think it was less than a mile. I grew up in Harrisburg, and I thought that was small. I had moved there, so I wasn't <laughs> from there. Um and I moved there in eighth grade, so. Oh, yeah, no. Growing up there your entire life is, a, is kind of a different feeling. I think I started planning my exit strategy in, like, eighth grade. That's hilarious. I love it. I'm so glad that uh, we have that in common. 
What were you thinking of in a, terms of a career when you were growing up? Yeah, super different. I thought I was going to own an art gallery in New York and I was going to be very artsy and interesting and live that life. Um, <laughs> and I'm actually not regretful that didn't happen. It's just kind of ironic to think about like I had my heart set on like either fashion or art or something like that. I know people don't think about it, but HR is artistic because you have to literally be able to handle things at the drop of a hat, unique situations. Nothing's ever cookie cutter. Um, and so it is its own special form of art, whether people respect it or not. What could be more creative than trying to keep thousands of people engaged at work? I mean, really, <laughs> you're pulling on you're pulling on everything. So tell me, how did you enter HR? So I had done facets of HR throughout my career, whether that be onboarding, training, hiring, paperwork, things like that, but never truly owned an HR role. My background was medicine and I had kind of a varied background. I also have been a TV producer. So um, I had gone back into medicine, left medicine and was kind of between things. And so I was trying to figure out what's my next step. And my husband had met someone who was looking for an individual to join her HR team, but also like come in kind of green. And so he introduced me to her. She liked my resume. I interviewed for the potential HR role, but they said, you know, we also have this other role where you could come in as the front office. And I remember sitting with my husband and saying, I know this sounds insane, but I think I want to start at the front. And the reason why I want to start at the front is because I will learn the whole business front to back. And I think I will be better at this if I understand their business and I understand their people. And he was like, listen, I trust you. If this is what you want to do, let's do it. And, you know, I did do that. It was a good decision. I think it made me also more approachable because when you're the person who stocks the kitchen, people will later on come to you and talk to you about important things. So I feel like my entry point to HR was a little unconventional because I could have taken a straight up HR job, but realizing, you know, you kind of have to touch all the desks to really be great at what you do and also to be a better representation for the company. Like, literally, I know that the front desk is hands down the most important job in the company. I've done it, but also realizing how much flows through that individual and why there's such a, a linchpin role. And I think that makes me more self-aware and also more aware of what my, my staff or, or what the individuals in the organization need. I could not agree more. It's a great way to come in. And it also lets you shop for your next jobs because you get to see all the the pieces. Of yeah. The no. And the front desk, I mean, you know, candy is a gateway drug to conversation. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so people will come and tell the front desk people things they would not normally say because they think, oh, you can't fire me. You can't influence my outcome here. And they're hundred percent themselves. And, and I don't mean that in like an entrapment ensnarement moment. I just mean <laughs> that it's, it's good because that fluidity of dialogue later on when I did move into an HR role, they had already earned trust with me or I had earned their trust. When I would do interviews for anybody on my team, before we would debrief, I'd go, let's go check at the front desk and see how the candidate came in. Because really, if they were 
not polite or indifferent or didn't smile. Like my question was, did they smile at you? Because mm-hmm. I'm not going to train an HR person how to smile. And so I'd say, let's go see how it went at the front desk. And she'd be like, yeah, they were really nice. I really liked them. We'd be like, okay, let's talk about them then. And the other thing is, is that the front desk has always somewhat reported to me or has reported to me. And so I always back up that individual. Like when my front office coordinator needs to take lunch or needs a vacation day, I sit up there. And the thing is, is that if you're a stranger to this organization, you're 100% you, but you have no idea who I am. And there's been times where I've realized very quickly that person was incredibly rude to me because they thought I had a nothing job. And then within 20 minutes, you know, their interview shifted and they were supposed to meet with me and they realized, oh, uh, I did not show up the way I wanted to, but I've seen who you are. I mean, it's important for people to keep in touch with that front office because they do have the secrets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, did you have anybody, a mentor, a leader or somebody who helped you along the way? Yes, I had a doctor who was a great mentor, was kind of a checks and balances, who held no punches and told me the truth, which was good because I was young and I definitely had a lot of impetuousness in my thought processes. You know, uh, I think it was good for him to temper some of my, uh, I guess, uh, personal beliefs of who I was and what I could do, because sometimes that was a little over overstretched. Um, and so it would be good to have him be the litmus test of like what was reality versus what I, I was just thinking I could do. And then when I went into HR, Katie, who was the boss who hired me, Katie was my mentor and she was phenomenal. She loved HR and she loved process and procedure and rules and having a medical background. I, I do love a good rule. I love compliance because that's a big part of what you do in medicine is, you know, that onus of patient first and taking care of people. But I will say that she was also really genuinely kind and patient and gave me a lot of room to jump in on things that maybe I shouldn't have, or maybe other people would have been fearful to allow me to do, but she had great trust. And, you know, she was like, you're smart, you're capable, you're willing, let's just see what you can do. And she left me to my own devices or gave me options and opportunities that I don't think I would have gotten elsewhere. And your career trajectory, like you really just kept moving up. So, yeah. um, you know, that that says a lot about the people who you reported to, who gave you that that opportunity. I think with my boss, he didn't like certain things. So he would give me all the work he didn't like. So <laughs> I ended up learning. It was. I went through benefits and comp and all the things that I really didn't. I mean, I do it. You have to. But uh, I didn't like it either. So. Yeah. Once I got once I got through it, I would hire somebody else to handle it. So I didn't have to do that. No, early in my career, my dad told me the way he moved through the state system was he never said no. He said if they needed help or they need something to take something on, I would say yes. And that way, when it was said and done, whether I liked it or not, no one could take that experience from me. And so I've tried to emulate that in my career because I feel like even the crap work of HR makes you a better HR person. And I learned at every point, even I learned that I didn't like it. And Mm -hmm. guess what? Sometimes you think you're not going to like something and and you really do, or you were able to influence that touch point for employees, you know, fix, fix some of the difficult spots. Um, Yeah. Gosh. (laughs) Um, Okay. So let's talk about some stories. Could you share a story or two that were pivotal in your career where you really 
either learned a lesson or learned something about HR? Yeah. So I had great staff at my last organization. When I started early on, it was a smaller team. And the two individuals who worked underneath me were really wonderful, both a little bit younger. And so, you know, real hungry for salaries, titles, opportunity, but also could do the work. So, you know, I would give them things to do and let them own things and be challenged. One of those individuals resigned their position and moved on. And I had someone a couple years later quickly exit. And I had maintained a relationship with that ex-employee who had resigned. And I asked her, do you want to come back? And it was interesting because the current team had some touch points with her before she had left. And they said, I don't know if that's a great decision. And I was looking for a quick fix, somebody who understood our systems, knew our staff, kind of knew the managers who could come in and just run. And man, did I pay for that decision. So I brought her back. And again, she was, she was highly functioning. She could come in, jump right in and do. She also was not who left the building. And she came in and was fairly toxic um, and created some real deviation between me and the rest of my staff. Um, And it became a them versus me out of nowhere, which was really upsetting and hard to navigate. I had always had good relationships with my staff. So that was a genuine struggle for me because I was like, where the hell is this coming from? And why am I on the outs now? And having to look at myself and and change ways that I behaved with them because she had created this sort of, uh, I don't know, dissident feeling in the group. And so she actually ended up making a pivotal mistake with a higher level C-suite employee And he fired her. (laughs) But before he fired her, one of my most critical right-hand employees had quit. And it was because the tensions in the relationships had started to come to a boiling point. I was not acting well. She was not responding to me well. And I got to be honest, I didn't show up great for her. And and it was because I I had new stresses. I didn't understand it. And so I, I sort of poisoned that relationship in my own right. And so when she left, I mean, I was very gracious about it and made sure everybody said goodbye to her and everything, even though I was the reason why she was leaving at that point. But I always felt bad about it. And then when this person who had come, who had created sort of this like life wake for me, um, when she finally got fired, I was left with one of three people in my team And that person, I was like, do you even want to work for me? Do you want to work here? And I, you know, as an HR professional, you have access to emails and threads and conversations after someone leaves. And I saw that the three of them had had some fairly aggressive conversations about me and they had said some pretty nasty things. And I was not sure if she should stay, if I wanted her to stay. And she was such a good employee. And it was actually the C-suite gentleman who had let go of that one employee who convinced me to keep this last staff member. And honestly, I'm so glad he did because she became my right hand and we worked very closely together for five years and I couldn't have appreciated a relationship more, but man, did I have to go through a lot to get there. And I think the thing I realized is like, there's two major components. One, you can't go back. Like you just can't go back and you always want to bring those people you liked back into the organization, but the organization is organic and it's changing and the dynamics are different. And those people never come back the same because it's not the same. 
And so that was a big life lesson for me because I have had really smart people I've worked with before that I'm like, nope, I can't revisit it because what if it doesn't look the same on face value when they get here? I'm disappointed. They're disappointed. And then the other thing I did realize through all of this was I was at a point where I wanted to scorch the earth and be like, I'm done with all of you and I'm going to start over. And his temperament and, and thought process about like, let's give her an opportunity to make that life choice was really pivotal for me to grow as an individual because through that, we had to have some fairly honest conversations. She had to gain my trust back. I had to gain hers. And I really felt like that was a great training and relationship repair, which was hard. What a, what a valuable lesson to learn. Yeah. In your own department, right? For your own leadership style. Oh, yeah. What do you do differently now? How have you approached those, those things differently? Yeah, I think early on, I had such strong conversations and interpersonal conversations with the individuals around me that it almost blurred a little bit of that line. And it wasn't that I wasn't acting like a manager. I wasn't appropriate. It was that I think when you give a little too much personal space in that, that relationship in HR, you create bonds and expectations that may or may not be fair of the person's position. So, you know, I do have relationships and I have genuine conversations with the people who report to me now, but I don't make much effort to do anything outside of work. I don't commingle a lot of that stuff. And I think that that's good because they can be themselves when they want to be in front of me. And then they're themselves when they're not at work. And they get to pick and choose what that looks like. Yeah, I had a friend. I'd, I hadn't spoken to her since her graduation. And um, she was looking for a job in HR and I hired her. And then when she started working for me, I said, just to be clear, you know, I had to decide if I wanted to be your friend or if I wanted to fill this employee relations job. And I decided the job is what I want. Mm -hmm. And when you leave, we can be friends. But, you know, I'm not going to connect with you on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Like, I'll only go to things that other people are going to. I, I just couldn't set up a, a precedent where people felt that she got preference. And it's hard. Yeah. It's a hard line to, to hold. But I think it's an important one. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. No, I've had family and I've had friends who have worked for organizations I've worked for. And early on in those relationships, I've told them, you know, you have to understand when I'm at work, I'm at work. And, and when we're not at work, we're not at work. But if I have to fire you, I will, because that's my job. And it's not personal. And it's not because I don't love you and I don't want us to stay connected. It's because you're entering a world where I have an expectation of myself and the company has an expectation of me. And I try to set the tone, but when you're hiring people and bringing them into your, you know, your cultural family in your department, that's when things can get wonky. And so mm -hmm. it's really, how do you make sure you don't create expectations because they now feel like you're friendly and they can take advantage of it? And how do you not overstep and have expectations of them because you're like, yeah, but I, you know, I'm so cool about this. Why aren't you doing this for me? You can't do that. I mean, it's a business relationship, whether you like it or not. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Don't tell me that you like drugs while I'm working in HR. <laughs> tell me when you leave the company, but do not tell me, well, I'm in charge of HR, whatever it is. Like, yeah. it is now legal in, I know you're in Colorado and Illinois, 
But I mean, we also worked in healthcare and there was extensive drug testing. So it's just oh, yeah. a really poor choice to get that comfortable with your HR person. Don't do oh, it. I know. I was the HR manager uh, at my last organization and I had an office share with somebody because there was limited space. And the woman who I shared an office with, to this day, I'm still friends. I'm still friendly with, I shouldn't say we're friends, but I'm friendly with. But she came in one day and sat down and turned around and said, I think I'm still drunk from last night. And I looked at her and I said, I'm the HR manager. Like, do you know that you just said that out loud? That wasn't your inside voice. And she was like, yeah. And she just spun her chair around and went back to work. And I was like, oh my God, I hate my job because now I have to do something. It's the worst. It is the worst. I had somebody shop at orientation drunk and I'm like, seriously, it's eight in the morning. And now I have to handle this? Five o'clock somewhere. Mind you, I had 40 people in the room and thankfully, you know, I have an employee health team that I could call and they could come and get her a ride home. But unbelievable. And yeah. that was also her first and last day of work, oh, just to be clear. Yeah, well. If you show up drunk your first day, it's not a long, it's the best. <laughs> we know we're getting your best on your first day. and uh, Maybe. <laughs> maybe that was the best. Tell me a story about something that really surprised you in the workplace or shocked you. Yeah, I think my first real, real HR situation was at that organization where they had, you know, taken a chance on me and homegrown me. I had an opportunity to become the HR manager at that time. She asked me and I said, no, I was like, I'm not ready. We hired someone and he was a mess at best. And he ended up having me do all of his work. He only lasted four months. And when he left, I, I had done basically his job, my job, payroll, safety, like you name, I was on everything. And I finally went to the ownership and I said, you know, I really, I really think at this point in time, don't hire me any more managers. Like I'm done. Just, just give me the job. And they took about two months to make a decision. So mind you, I've done this job now for free for almost five months. <laughs> And uh, they came back and said, yeah, we're going to promote you. Well, like like a minute later, something happens. And it's like, man, I stepped in it. Why did I ask for this level of responsibility? So we had two employees, a manager and his subordinate, have a relationship. And it sort of went through the grapevine till it came to me. But the reason why it came to me was because he was using company funds on project sites for them to have liaisons. And they were both married and they both had families. And so, you know, worst case scenario. <laughs> and um, I, of course, had to bring them in and say, you know, do we have a situation here? Can you walk me through if this is a voluntary relationship? Is there quid pro quo? Where are we at? And I had to ask them both to write me statements because I wanted to make sure that it really was a voluntary relationship and that they both had time away, you know, to think about the relationship and how it was defined and, and was it done voluntarily and, and in good faith. And so they both came back and were basically like, I'm not going to write that <laughs> and I'm not going to do that, but we are together and we're okay with it. Well, the gentleman's wife found out and it was a free fall from there. So work started to get worse for him. He came to work. It was awkward because this one was still here. We were working through trying to move her into a new management space, like moving her away from him. And he decided to hole up in the office late at night one night by himself, 
and have a spin out in an email to the whole company. And it was probably the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And mind you, I always laugh at a lot of the things that happen in HR because if you don't laugh, you'll cry. And you can't create, you cannot create this stuff. People are so creative themselves, they will give you material. And so he, <laughs> he sent this manifesto and the next day, of course, the owners are like, what happened? I'm like, I have no idea. I'm still trying to figure out where his equipment is. He's obviously quick because he edited the email that way. And I thought to myself, this is the worst decision I have ever made. Stay tuned for the next episode of True Stories at Work to find out how this love at work relationship turns out. Spoiler alert, I've never seen one turn out well. We've all done something bad at work, but here's your chance to confess. From small wrongs like borrowing office supplies to simplify your back-to-school shopping or snacking on a co-worker's lunch to the major workplace sins, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll type. Here is today's Conscious Clearing Confession. I was finishing up my certification for coaching and the last requirement was to submit hours of coaching um, conversations. And since I was working in a leadership role, it was really easy. I took volunteers. I invited one of my directors to come in and get coaching for free. Obviously, it's part of my job. So we were recording and we had had a really good conversation. And the thing that made the conversation good is I had to use certain elements of the model and the way that he had responded all along was just so great. And he was full of all these insights until the moment when he saw a squirrel. It was actually so close outside your office. So while we were in this in-depth discussion, I happened to look over your shoulder, which um, there's a railing right outside your office window. You had double doors, glass doors, so you could see right out. And it was a beautiful day. So I looked over your shoulder and there's a squirrel walking on the railing. It was such a cute squirrel and it was so close. I don't know why I asked you to turn around. I don't know. It's not like I have never seen a squirrel before, but it maybe it was a subconscious. I think I'm done with this session. I have the answer that I need. I did not stop the recording because I thought if this is going to happen in my coaching sessions, I'm just going to send it in as is and just see if I get this certification or not. So I sent it in. I should tell you the follow-up in my feedback because the coaching um, certifiers um, give you feedback after they listen and grade your session. And she said, it showed that we had a great rapport and she was glad I didn't cut it out or re-record. So I did pass. We had debated this squirrel coaching story for over a decade. So I asked permission from this director to share the actual recording, allowing us to confirm the exact moment that squirrel entered our conversation. This client knew himself well, as the squirrel was a convenient distraction and way to quickly shift the topic from the vulnerable space we were just getting into. Take a listen. 
it, it doesn't make sense to me. I would say that it, it makes me feel a little insecure. Mm -hmm. That's an awful feeling. No, I don't just, think it is. I think that's good. I just think it's curious. Okay. Because I don't normally go in that water. Okay. Yeah. So it's unfamiliar. It's, Can we try an exercise that will totally be out of your comfort zone? No, there's a, there's a squirrel right there. There's She's a what? A no, we're okay. I'm glad you're focused on our session. I am. <laughs> but there's it's right there. There's a squirrel right there. It's right I, Yeah. They like, they like to hang out on my window. And sometimes they run across that thing. Sometimes they jump into my window and slide down. Okay, let's focus on me and not the squirrel. Now clear your conscience by submitting your workplace confession at physicsatwork.com slash podcast. If you're looking for ways to create momentum and boost performance to achieve your organization's goals faster, Physics at Work can help you to define and refine your people's strategy. Just reach out to me at physicsatwork.com or connect on LinkedIn because the same laws of physics that drive our universe also drive your workforce. Well, that's all for today's episode of True Stories at Work. Thank you to Lauren for joining me today. If you work in HR and have a story to share, please visit my website, physicsatwork.com slash podcast. You can share a story, make an anonymous workplace confession, or drop some wisdom, which could be shared on the show. Stories are what people remember and how we connect, so please share yours with me. Haiku for Lauren. Lauren keeps it real, creative, and inspired as she learns and grows.